Why, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quickie Podcast, episode 207. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and to be honest, I'm a little rusty. It's been uh, almost a month now since I've had new episodes up, and the world has felt a little bit upside down lately, that's for sure. So being real here, um, I had some interviews stacked up, and then COVID-19 went crazy, My day job is in the commercial print industry, and that got flipped and turned on its head, so I've been navigating that new normal, and my kids are home, and three kids to homeschool, and balancing with my wife's business and my business. It's just bananas, just been bananas. But we're back on the road here, back in the saddle, and uh, I think moving forward, we're going to switch up the Quickie Podcast to two episodes per week along with a couple of other exciting little twists. Um, So keep an eye on that change, a couple of changes coming up in the next, uh, let's say, week, week and a half or so, something like that. But anyways, let's be honest, you're here to hear today's guest, not me. So let's get to it. Today's guest is Ken Barber. He's a letterer, a type designer, author, and instructor works out of house industries and has for like over 25 years. The guy is loving it there. During this episode, we talk about his early design stuff being gigantic drawings of trains, trains with bowling alleys. He tells us all about that. We also talk about mad magazines and some of the early influences in his career. We then talk about a time when the co-founder of house industries passed away and what that effect had on him and how it led to one of the most challenging times that he's ever experienced in his career, how it changed the feeling of the studio and the flow of the studio. He just uh, gets real honest and open and shares that with us. We talk about the new house industries book, the lettering manual. He then shares with us the magazine project that he started way back in the late nineties and how they quickly found out It was uh, a lot more difficult than they had originally expected. Ah, you know, get some articles, throw some cool designs together and just get it printed. What's the, what's the big deal? He tells us how, or he tells us what is the big deal. That and so much more. Also love the ask it forward question that I had to ask him from my previous guest, Paul, and, uh, and the way he handled it. I think he handled it strong. Well done, Ken. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. But just before we hear from Ken... Let's hit the music. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Ken, welcome to the Quickie Podcast, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you making out? As good as possible in these times. (laughs) I think that's a safe answer. (laughs) So, um, because this is the Quickie Podcast, I need to ask you, are you ready for a quickie? I, uh, at this point, um, I'm, I'm in too deep already. So I think, uh, <laughs> yes, I am. All right. Well, let's get right into the tough stuff here then. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. 
Uh, I am a letterer, typeface designer, author, and instructor. I'm the uh, type design director and the uh, letterer at House Industries. There you have it in a nutshell. Nailed it. How long have you been in the game here, Ken? Oh, wow. Um, Professionally, I'm uh, I'm approaching maybe 27 years, something like that. So what does that mean professionally? Were you amateur before? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, my whole (laughs) whole childhood. As As far as I know, I wasn't getting paid. I don't know if my my parents were somehow receiving some payment for whatever it is that I was doing, and they just were holding out on me now. But uh, no, um, you know when I when I started to do it uh, to make a living. Awesome. That's the that's the official date. Yeah, that would be. I started. Uh, I graduated from school uh, from college in 1994, and I started working immediately afterwards. So did I do the math right? I have no idea. Math yeah, me <laughs> That's math, why I math. didn't say that I was a mathematician. No, exactly. Math is not my strong point either. So you had mentioned your parents a little bit, which kind of ties into this next question. Um, tell me about your childhood. What was that like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that really sort of steered you in this creative career direction? I do. Yeah, absolutely. My mom loves to tell this story that when I was probably around six or so, uh, she and my dad had bought a chalk, they bought a chalkboard for me because they, they had already seen how much I had loved to draw and all that sort of stuff. And so they thought, well, what can we buy him? You know, we buy him paper and crayons and all this sort of stuff all the time, but how about a chalkboard? And my mom loves to tell the story that I came down the steps on Christmas morning and saw this chalkboard with my name on it. And apparently, I don't remember this, uh, what I had to say was, I didn't ask for that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But my my parents from the very beginning uh, recognized some interest in, you know, creative pursuits. They definitely encouraged me in that way. Uh, I have three older brothers. Mm -hmm. All of them are also very creative and played a part in, I think becoming and doing what it is that I do today. Um, my, I have a, a brother, Mike, who my father used to bring home these rolls of paper, right? Yeah. And so we would make these, we would make super trains and super boats and things. And we just keep unrolling the paper. We'd make these impossibly long ships or trains and they'd have multiple levels and, and bowling alleys and swimming pools and all this sort of stuff. And I remember doing that with my brother Mike and and the oldest brother is Eric, uh, and he had a collection of Mad magazines nice. that he would share with me, and 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 he would also punish me though by withholding access to said Mad magazines. <laughs> so that was you know, but he's an older brother, so you know that's what that's, he's that's what to they do. do. And then my yeah. brother, my brother Steve is probably um, he might be the biggest influence on me as an artist because. Um, He's, I think he's about eight years older than I, uh, and, uh, very talented, very talented artist. He, he doesn't do it professionally, but mm-hmm. he could do all sorts of things, illustration, painting. I mean, just a, you know, he was early on, he, he's the first artist that I knew, I think. Um, and my parents, when it came to going to school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And they really encouraged me to go to art school, which is kind of crazy when I reflect on it, because to have that sort of faith that, 
to to get an art degree, uh, they come from you know more or less a blue collar background. So I'm kind of shocked even to this day that they encouraged me in that way. But I'm glad that they did. <laughs> That's awesome. So two really important questions out of that. When you came down the stairs and saw this gift, was this a gift from Santa that you could that they could blame on you know the red guy? Well, he just wasn't listening, <laughs> or was this a parent gift? I uh, it was a parent. It, well. You know, it was a Santa gift, but I, I never believed in Santa. So, um, I just, I just, you know, that, I think it was that morning also that my parents decided to put a small container of coal next to, uh, our beds. And of course my older brothers were, had grown out of the, you know, the Santa myth. Um, but, uh, Mike, my brother, who's, he's about two and a half years older than I, um, he woke up, saw it, and I just heard like shrieks from his room. And I ran over there and I said, mom and dad did that. Come on, there's presents downstairs. Let's go. So whether it was from my parents or from Santa, it really wouldn't have mattered because I knew it came from my parents. So, <laughs> so I guess I was being a jerk to my parents. Yeah, there you go. I love it. <laughs> and do you, when you were unrolling his paper, making these huge trains, were you like drawing them like side profile these trains and they just kept going around the house? Is that how it worked? Right. So it was, yeah, it was as if you could just cut the, cut the train in half or, or yeah. the ship. Yeah. You could just cut it in half. You could see the multiple floors and decks and all that kind of stuff. And it, I mean, it was just, we had a blast just imagining all the cool stuff. Like if I had a super train, I don't know why it was a super train. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it just seemed to fit what we were trying to accomplish. So I love uh, it. Yeah, it was fun. See, when I was younger, I would draw like mansions, the house that I wanted to live in. And not really the interior of the house, but the yard. I would have my car race track over here. I'd have my off-road track over here. Then my dirt bike track over here. So I, I apparently were, I'm, I'm supposed to have a complex in, in life at some point. <laughs> Oh, okay. So this hasn't manifested yet. In, no, not in yet. Your current no, situation still manifesting. Right. Still, okay. still looking for that. My wife disagrees. Does your wife know about these plans? Uh, I've <laughs> let her know, know a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Just so she knows what's coming. I'm concerned. There's a lack of alignment. <laughs> we'll just say that. You know, it it happens in relationships that you don't always see eye to eye with certain things. But you know, if I'm sure I have no sway in the matter, but if there's anything I can do to, you know, help convince the missus mm. or anything like that, and yeah. you know, we got to have one another's backs here, you know. Uh, true, absolutely. And the feeling is mutual, Ken. If you need to pull something off, you let me know. <laughs> so, Ken, what stands out to you in your career as the most influential design of your life so far? Maybe it was something you saw. Maybe it's something you've been a part of. Um, you know. Early on, and I use these references often because it is a question that I do get from time to time. Mm -hmm. I what sticks out of my memory as a kid is the aforementioned Mad magazines, and particularly Don Martin, who was an mm -hmm. illustrator. But he illustrated everything. So he also illustrated uh, um, the sound effects that his characters would make. So if you're not familiar with Don Martin, check it out. It's really funny stuff. Great illustration style. But he had this uh, knack for coming up with like great sound effects because it was his comics were very slapstick. So mm -hmm. invariably someone was getting struck with a fish or <laughs> drilled into their head with a jackhammer or something. And and just his he would have ones like spoink 
and Thwok and all these. Thwok, that's my favorite. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic uh, uh, sound effects. And he he lettered all of them. And so that really stands out to me as a kid. And and uh, and then later um, I got into skateboarding when I was, you know, became a teen. And uh, skateboard graphics and uh, particularly uh, Jim Phillips stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, he was the art director for Santa Cruz skateboards since the seventies. And uh-huh. I don't know, gosh, he's still around. I don't, maybe he still does stuff for Santa Cruz. I honestly don't know. But in the eighties, his stuff was plastered over all the magazines, trans world skateboarding thrasher. And the ads were fantastic. The skateboard graphics. And I love the way in the same way that Don Martin did integrated illustration and lettering. And that just made such an impression on me uh-huh. that he didn't separate these things. And I didn't really understand it at the time. I didn't have the, the tools, the language to really articulate what it is that attracted me to his work. Mm-hmm. But reflecting on it now, it certainly was his approach. And and without a doubt, it made an effect on me in, 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 in terms of the way that I uh, view the alphabet and how you can explore it and what you can do with it and how communicative it can be beyond just symbols, mm-hmm. right? Just literal communication that it can be um, something or provide an opportunity to, to, to dig more deeply than that. A hundred percent. I love that example. And mad magazine has come up a couple of times. Um, but the skate culture, you know, I, I didn't see this coming is a huge influence to a number of designers. Like that is like probably by far the most influential entry to this design world, um, out of all these interviews that I've done. Yes. Skateboarding, for me, represented something that was outside of the norm in so many ways. Mm-hmm. It's It blows my mind that it's considered a sport today, that there are I, – I think it's great for skaters to be able to to make a living, to do it professionally, to yeah. live a decent life. And I think it's fantastic. But, I mean, when when we were skating in the streets and, uh, and, and seen really as, you know – not necessarily, I can't say outsider. I was a suburban kid, you know, it was like not a, not an outsider <laughs> to anyone, but, but it did, it, it was, it was this kind of gateway to so many other aspects of culture, yeah. to music, to fashion. And it all, for me, I just didn't separate those things. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Skate culture, man. Um, who, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and what about them do you like, Ken? I think it's easier for me for, for, for people, I suppose. I don't, um, I I don't know if I've ever thought of like brands necessarily that I looked up to. I think there are certainly, uh, brands that have, uh, an eye for not only design, but how they present their, their message. I think Mm -hmm. for me, people are much more closer to me in terms of influences. And when I became interested in lettering as something that I saw as more as just a hobby, when I started to go to school, uh, I started to, the one thing to understand is when I went, I went to school in the early nineties and this is the era of the emergence of desktop publishing. And so you had people turning toward desktop publishing and, and at least temporarily away from, hands-on, handicraft, mm-hmm. uh, traditional or conventional uh, production methods. But I was interested in those too. I, I was interested in both. And for me, I thought, well, I, I can have both. Uh, the problem was, is as people became more uh, focused more on digital typography, the, it was very difficult to find resources 
uh, as far as this conventional approach to uh, to lettering was concerned. Mm-hmm. So I did what I could. I, I dug around and, and I was fortunate enough to get in touch with some people who who today to this day are, are you know, giants in the industry, legends, really. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is Ed Ben-Gat. And if you're if, if you're not familiar with Ed Ben-Gat, you, you've definitely seen his typography for sure. Uh, probably the most relevant, I think it's still relevant, is uh, the Stranger Things title sequence. Mm-hmm. So that uses um, uh, uh, Benguet, his his type, uh, his he, the guy created hundreds of typefaces, but that's perhaps his uh, most well-known typeface. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to to be able to reach out to him for one, and then he was very receptive. And I think it was because you know you're younger generation that's interested in this sort of thing. And so um, he's been just a huge mentor and really I'm, I can say friend and for sure he's been one of the biggest influences and continues and continues to be. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great one. And as soon as you mentioned stranger things, like I have a very vivid picture in my mind of that type. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, my daughter's now just old enough where my wife and I are cool with her watching Stranger Things. Yeah. So when it really hit the scene a couple of years ago, she was just way too young and not interested. Mm-hmm. And then her friends started to talk about it, and she's obviously curious about it. And so my wife and I decided, okay, we'll we'll watch it with you. And I'm having a blast rewatching them because I love the series. And it's one of the few title sequences for a show that we do not skip. Yeah. There is something about it. It's not only the visual, it's the music, and it it just totally sets the scene for the show. I think it's fantastic. And 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 it's and it's simple too, and that's I think the beauty of the whole thing. Yeah. See, I'm like that with um with narcos. I love I I, I'm this like a suburban guy, but I'm, I'm so interested in that, like narco culture, mainly out of pure disbelief, um, of how crazy Wait, you got to break down, you got to break down narco culture for me. Am I, am I, I'm reading into it, but I want to make sure before I say anything, I'm, I'm embarrass myself. No, like, like narcotics, like Pablo Escobar, right, okay, like, okay. like that, like gotcha. cartels, like that sort of, that sort of world, mainly out of disbelief. Um, so on Netflix, a few different series came out. It came out. It was the main one, Narcos, with Pablo Escobar story. And then they sort of continued that story. And then they did a Narcos Mexico one following the Mexican cartel. And I never skip the intro sequences, the title sequences, because the music just the music and the visuals together just create this feeling and even going back to back, you know, episodes, I don't skip it. I let it go because it just keeps me in that zone. There's no break. I got to check that out. I haven't, uh, I think I've seen, uh, the Escobar one come up. Um, it's, I don't know. It's something I wouldn't have an issue watching. I don't know. My wife and I do, our viewing together. So I don't yeah. know if it's something that she'd necessarily be into, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the list and see if I can yeah, it's get one, it by and yeah, it's, it's <laughs> we'll one, check it out. one that my wife was not interested in. And there were some late nights trying to keep up with the series, <laughs> but uh, if, if at least for the title sequence, just watch it and let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. 
Cool. We'll do. Cool. So I'm going to slide in um, actually to some challenging stuff here, Ken. Um, I sort of move around uh-huh. my, my script a little bit, um, but I want to um, get a, into a couple of questions that are tough, bring up some tough memories for you, but we'll move past it. We'll finish up in a happy place. What has been okay. the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Um, why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Uh, I, I think probably the most challenging was it's a personal, it's a personal story, but it's very much related to Mm -hmm. my, um, um, career as, as a designer and particularly at, at house industries. And that's when co-founder Rich Rowe passed away in Mm -hmm. 2017. So it was completely unexpected and, um, really, really devastating. I can say, um, I had worked with Rich and um, the other co-founder of House Industries, Andy Cruz, for until that point for 25 years. Wow! And that's when when you are accustomed to. It's not only being accustomed to working with someone when you have really developed this approach to design alongside a colleague and a friend and then that equation completely changes mm-hmm. it's a difficult it's a difficult thing and him being a friend is is one thing that's difficult enough but what rich did at house industries was to create a a space for everyone there mm-hmm. to explore their talents, their ideas. He offered this, he and Andy offered this, this space, this platform really to, to just follow our ideas with in, in, in a really untethered sort of way. Mm-hmm. And that's a really rare, it's a very uncommon situation to be in and, and a, an opportunity to have. And it isn't that that has changed necessarily that now they're, you know, that, that there isn't that freedom. But when that person is that, when that person has helped develop that and, and you move forward with all these creative enterprises beside this person and then they're gone. If you've lost someone, I don't have to tell you what that, what that feels like. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that, that has to be the most challenging thing that I faced. I think, uh, in regard to it affecting not only me personally, but professionally. So I know <clears throat> my father-in-law passed away about 10 months ago now, nine months ago now. So we're still, we're just sort of coming out the other side of that, I'd say. Um, but I know the moment, um, the, the kind of the moment you're speaking about, which is when you first hear, you first find out, you sort of, you stop and it almost brings confusion. I guess that would be the best term that I could use to describe it. Confusion, and it's confusion about everything. Your priorities, the direction you're going in life, your career, like it, it pauses, me anyways, it caused me to to pause and be a little bit confused and question a lot of things. Is that similar to what you faced? And, and how did you move through that career-wise? 
Well, first of all, I want to offer my condolences to you and your wife. Um, Thank you. And uh, uh, I know what you mean about the confusion. It's so startling. It's so jarring yes. that you feel that you feel just utterly unprepared. And I think that's what creates that feeling of being vulnerable and uncertain. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely know what that, what that feels like. If you're like me, you had friends and loved ones who were able to work through that with you. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's, it's been a slow process. I think it's funny. I, I talking to, was talking to my wife, um, the other day and Rich's birthday was, um, um, a week ago. And we were, you know, we were talking about some of the most memorable times that I've, that I've had or that I have, um, when I reflect on our relationship is, is the times we butted heads over things. (laughs) And it's, and it's, and it's funny. And it was a little surprising that I would find those comforting in, in some strange way. I think that mm-hmm. was also, it, 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 um, it was indicative of our relationship that, I mean, there are plenty of good times too. Don't get me wrong, no, absolutely. but I realize that it's, it's the whole package. Right. And that's what I think it illustrated for me is that, um, it's, it's the good and the bad. And I'm grateful to have had all of it. Nope. Absolutely true. So what was the, just to sort of, you know, I'll move on to the next question here. So I'm not forcing you to dwell on this too long, but um, how did you get back to what, you know, I'm air quoting here as normal? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know if there's necessarily a normal because it changed the dynamic in the studio for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, He, he wasn't, his role in the studio um, wasn't so much as a directly creative person. He didn't design type. Uh, he was more on the direction end of, of things mm-hmm. or um, working with clients and that sort of thing. And um, cre- creatively, I, I should be fair. I mean, creatively, we we wrote, uh, he and I, along with Andy, wrote two books together. The first House Industries book, which I think was 2003, and then we published a book called the process is in, is the inspiration in 2017, shortly before he passed, and so um, it changed the dynamic of the of the studio. And I don't know if you can't get back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we did do is, you know, we 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 found out how how we move forward, and that's uh, honestly, you know, it's it's one day at a time at first, or one project at a time, and and you. I don't want to say you build momentum, but you, you begin to, uh, you grope around a little bit, right. And you figure out, okay, where, where are we, where are we moving with this? How are we going to get there? And so it it takes some time, but I don't think it's anything that you can really plan. I think it, it just, it, you just have to experience it. Mm -hmm. And as I, as I said, I'm fortunate to, um, continue to work with, with, with Andy and also Bonde Angeline, uh, Mm -hmm. that, um, the head designer at house industries and, and, and everyone else at, at house. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of like everybody else. I think we're, we're always figuring things out, right? Like <laughs> every day. Figuring things <laughs> out. Totally. I hear you there. 
Um, so Ken, with this next one, I want to get a little bit more specific. Um, I want you to take us to a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Sure. Uh, I had to, I had to think about this cause there are so many, <laughs> no, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I often get questions about failure and I think failure means different things to different people. It looks a different way, even mm. to the same person, depending upon where they are in their career. Definitely. So a failure, a failure when I'm, when I was just starting out might've been not being able to land a particular job or mm. completely botching a relationship with a client or, you know, some production screw up or something just, you know, professionally speaking. And you, hopefully you learn as you go along. It isn't to say that there aren't hiccups or bumps in the road. Um, we're always going to have those, but you, you hopefully get a little better. You know, you learn from those lessons and, and failure or disappointment with projects, it changes as I think, at least as, as, as far as I have noticed, as you progress in your, in your mm. career. So, um, as far as ones that, uh, I would say something that didn't pan out the way that we expected at house industries was in the late nineties, we thought it would be a brilliant idea to start a magazine and the, <laughs> and the magazine would serve a couple different functions. It would primarily be a vehicle to, connect with our customers, to share with designers, particularly our interests, um, but also our products. So it was part catalog, but it was part editorial. Yep. And somehow or other, we, can, we convinced ourselves that it wouldn't be all that hard to do, to produce a magazine. <laughs> and we Quickly, we quickly realized that the, the the publishing industry, in particular as as far as magazines are concerned, um, it's a whole real world, right? <laughs> and there are yeah. there, there are are uh, you know there are expectations that you know prospective advertisers have, right? If you want to get their advertising money and um, or things like that, or there are these pesky things like production schedules, when the magazine will be released, and you know, heaven forbid an advertiser would want to know when that is. <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile, the important thing to understand is if you're not familiar with House Industries, is we're a creative studio, design studio that does a lot of different things. I mean, conventional graphic design, but also producing our own products or collaborating with others to produce products. But we're a font foundry as well. So mm -hmm. we already had so many things going on. And the last thing we needed was another iron in the fire and one that we somehow or other convinced ourselves wouldn't be all that difficult to navigate um, this world of magazine publishing. That lasted three issues. And I I think it was those three issues were probably released over the span of, I don't know, two years or something <laughs> like that. So it, they became more of annuals or something. It was a lot of fun. We got to work with a lot of cool people and do some fun projects in the course of the magazine. But it was it, uh, um, yeah, it didn't, didn't work out the way we had planned. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Perfect. So we sort of met with like an initial excitement of, yeah, we could do that. We're designers. We can create that. No problem. And then it was sort of, I guess you could almost say the admin stuff 
and the you know the client expectation stuff was a little bit different than you had expected right all the pesky stuff you know yes. like deadlines and, and stuff like that oh, entered, so the, annoying. entered the picture <laughs> we were we were very fortunate that um yeah along with our ignorance uh um we also had poor memory probably at the time so yeah. we were able to kind of you know, okay, push that aside and move on with the, uh, you know, with the next thing, you know, we, mm -hmm. it didn't linger in, in, in our memories all that long. We were still relatively young and, and very impetuous at the time. So, um, it, it, it certainly was a learning experience. Uh, it wasn't terribly devastating, but it was, didn't, like I said, didn't pan out yeah. as anticipated. Now, do you still have those hard copies? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There were, Perfect. uh, um, yeah, yeah. I've got them for sure. No, we're designers, right? We're hoarders. We have to keep these things. <laughs> okay, Ken, I'm going to turn this bus around here for you. I want you to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of. Um, one that just makes your heart sing. Right now I'd have to say it's, uh, the, the, the latest house industries book. Um, the, um, excuse me, <clears throat> the, House Industries Lettering Manual. Mm -hmm. I am uh, really excited about it. And it is, so we produced two other books and they were mostly monographs, uh, stories about our, our work. The, the second book, The Process is the Inspiration, the one from 2017, shared kind of foundational ideas that House operates under. They're really simple kinds of things, like make friends, you know, generally like good advice. And we try to illustrate projects and stories uh, to underscore those little lessons that we've learned and, and continue to operate by. But the House Industries Lettering Manual is a, a full-on bona fide instruction book. And cool. um, I wrote it, uh, and it, it is influenced largely from, from workshops that I've, that I've taught. That's where I, I used workshops, lettering workshops, to cultivate ideas that eventually made their, their way into the book. And it's been, it was just recently released. It was released April 14th, uh, 2020. So it's, it's, um, it's still a newborn out in the world, but the, the labor pains leading up to it were, <laughs> you know, were quite significant. Did you say April 14th? Yes. So literally three days ago from the time of this interview. Yeah, I saw a stack. <laughs> I saw a pile on the shelf over your right shoulder there. Oh, right, right, right. There and you I was go. Like, yeah. It just stands out because it looks so damn good. Wow, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I got. I'll have to send you a copy. The um, it, it it's as far as taking what it is that you do and trying to present it to another person in such a way that is meaningful, is useful to that person is it's very, it's very challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's what I enjoyed about the project was trying to figure that out. And the reason I bring up the workshops is because having had the experience of interacting with people and seeing how it is that they absorb material and how they understand it and then apply it was really crucial in writing this book because I had those sort of, you know, not to, uh, not to 
denigrate my students or belittle them or anything, but, you know, I had those sort of test subjects that I could, you know, see what works and, um, and what doesn't, but also the great thing about testing these ideas essentially on students is also you see how they're understanding it Mm -hmm. and then how they're implementing these, these ideas. And so many unexpected things happen in the course of that. It, it really helped me in shaping the material for the book mm-hmm. because then I had a sense of, I had a better sense of the audience because I had interacted with the audience uh, firsthand. And so to me, that was really exciting. And I think, you know, as, as being a feather in my cap, um, I don't know if I'd necessarily use the, the term but, or, or that description, but um, I, I certainly, it's certainly something to see a, a long I don't want to say a lifetime of work, but certainly a lot of effort, a lot of many years and time spent considering these ideas to finally come together in this in this thing um, is uh, it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. I love that. So the last question here, Ken, is a little one that I like to call the ask it forward question. That's where I have a question for you from my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. Now, I never share who the next guest is, so you're shooting completely blind. So I'll give you a second (laughs) to think about that. But before – so my last guest was Paul Sayre. He's a graphic designer at Oops, also known as the office of Paul Sayre out of New York. And he had kind of a tongue in cheek, quirky question. Um, that's very straightforward and very simple. And I believe you have a little bit of experience in the print world. So I have a feeling you'll have a little bit of knowledge on this one. But the, the question is simply Pantone 4156 or Pantone 4157, Ken? Oof, you know, Feel it depends f- on what mood I'm in, really. <laughs> that's <laughs> so. I wish I had a little bit more uh, in that. Re- yeah, in that 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 area. But uh, feel free to Google. See. Them. Like, know, this feel is, free to do a little Google. This is, <laughs> this is a tough way. Are, are you saying that I? Are you suggesting I don't know what these? No, no, Ken, I, I would never put that sort of doubt out there. But I didn't want you to feel that you were sort of backed into a corner where you had, there's expectations. I just wanted to remove expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you get, you got to give me the numbers again, because now I forgot. I had a picture of them and then. See, the mental image is gone. One. I ruined it for you. I'm so sorry. Right, it faded. Yeah, four no, okay. four one five six and four one five seven. Oof! You know, uh, I I had a I don't know like a, I had a screenshot of these, and what I should have done is just emailed you them with no context whatsoever. Oh no! no, no. Oh 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 no! I got it. It's it's like a pale bluish kind of thing, right? Am I? Yeah, yeah you probably saw me. <clears throat> bluish. Um. I don't know. I'll go. Well, the other thing is I'm colorblind. So that's, that's an important, you know, uh, thing to point out right here. I'm not joking, but, um, is that why you picked green for the cover of the lettering manual? <laughs> See, now you're messing with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that bad. You know, no, what right, I, let's go what I find one. so fascinating about that before you give your pants on answers, I've had three guests. Now you have the third guest that has 
mentioned that. Now, I find that incredible for two reasons. One is because you're in the creative field and color is such a huge part of the creative field. The second is that everybody throws it out so nonchalantly, like it's nothing. Like it doesn't play a role in anything else that we talked about. It just kind of comes out in conversation right near the end. Oh, to be colorblind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I didn't know I was colorblind until my, my father worked at a, um, uh, a paint manufacturing uh, factory. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he was, I think he did some quality control, if I'm not mistaken, but they would have to identify uh colors and, 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 and just shades of difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is before, you know, digital means were used to to do this sort of, right. So there were these standard tests that you would take. And, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, probably most listeners are with the numbers or letters that are hidden inside, uh, circles of varying colors and sizes. And then you have to determine what it is. And usually will point to whether you're what's called red, green, colorblind or, I think the other one is red, green, and yellow, blue. Is that the other one? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm red, green, but uh, yeah. So I mean, I found out probably in high school or something that I was colorblind, and it isn't that I don't see color. It's just I think it's something to do with the rods and the cones and the eyes and the way they fire. And uh, usually, I get a better sense of color because I can generally tell where it falls. Um, but if it's a if it's a if it's a green like a pale green. It helps if I put a bright red next to it and then the oh. color changes to me Yep, and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah. So, and, and the other thing to remember is that I'm, I'm focusing primarily on with typeface design, I don't really have to worry about color. And as far mm-hmm. as designing a logo type or something like that, the bulk of that for me has little to do with color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that's why I, um, married my wife so she can help me you know, with the, the, the final color selection. Her eyes are fantastic. <laughs> it was one of your prerequisites in your profile, right? Must be great at seeing things. Right. Awesome. Um, Ken, sorry, what was your Pantone answer? Was that 4157? 4156. Oh, going with the 6. Going with the 6. Excellent choice. Yes. Sir. Excellent yes. choice. Um. Ken, what is your ask it forward question for my next guest? <clears throat> okay, so my question is, is there a regionalism or an accent in the way a, you know, a, a pers- the next guest may uh, pronounce a particular word that they have either tried to um, stop or discontinue use if it's a particular word. See, this is very complicated. I, I made this hard for myself. Or um, when noticing it or if it was pointed out to them by others, did they just say to hell with it and, and just continue to do their thing? And the reason I ask this question is my, my wife is from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm from Dutch country in Pennsylvania. And so, well, let me ask you a question. The word C-R-A-Y-O-N, you would pronounce? Crayon. Okay. So it is not uncommon from the parts I am to say crayon, where you, it becomes one syllable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really, really want to you know, um, 
uh, hear interesting accents when you go to Philadelphia. And I, I'm, I'm from Reading, Pennsylvania, which is only an hour outside of Philadelphia. They'll pronounce it crown. So uh, I have my wife quickly pointed out my unusual accent and I now say crayon. Yeah. Um, so I, I disconnect. Because I your wife called you out. Because, because I got tired of her giving me a hard time. <laughs> I love it. So another, another example is if you have, it, let's say there's, um, you know, when you're in school and you're allowed to go get a drink of water, what is that machine called? Go get, sorry, if you're going to get, so water fountain? So if you're, okay, water fountain, right. So in Massachusetts, it's not uncommon to call it a bubbler. Really? A, it's it's a bubbler, but it's pronounced bubbler. So you actually get <laughs> both there. You get like yeah. the, you know, the regional accent and then also the regional term. So I'm curious uh, for the next guest, do they have like a, you know, a particular regional accent in the way they pronounce certain words or uh, do they have different words perhaps for something? And when finding out or if somebody pointed that out to them, did they change mm -hmm. um, the way the word they use or the way they speak? I like this question. And the other thing that um, because I've interviewed people from all over the world at this point um, for this show, people have uh, there's been a few people when we first jump on the Skype call, they say, oh, you must be from Canada. I can hear your Canadian accent. And I'm like, I have an accent. <laughs> I didn't even know this. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> like there's the stereotypical phrases that I know that I say, like a, you know, in between things like what are you doing out there? A, you know, things like that, that are like stereotypical, but like just in speaking normal dialect, not trying to, you know, do that. It, uh, I don't know. I just don't hear it. I hear other accents loud and clear, which means other people must hear mine right. loud and clear. <laughs> Right. And that, that was the revelation to me was like, yeah. wait, I don't speak funny. You, you speak funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just so speak normal. My wife and I, yeah. My wife and I have a lot of fun with that when she, so the area from Massachusetts where she is, it's right outside of Rhode Island and the Rhode Island accent is a little different than a Massachusetts accent. And really depends on where you are, but hers comes out when she gets like, if the kids are being a little rowdy and whatever, and she tells them to stop, her accent comes out and I give her a hard time because she starts to sound like Mayor Quimby from <laughs> The Simpsons. Yes. She says, stop, stop. <laughs> so stop uh, it. So stop it. The one that so my kids love is um, uh, Jim Gaffigan. Do you know who Jim Gaffigan is? The stand up comedian? Sure. Yeah. So he yeah, has sure. this one where this one stand up joke where. Um, he's, he's talking about, you know, how did, how did states pick what their staple food is? Like, you know, was it just this big convention? Everybody got together and Philadelphia, what do you want? Cheesesteak. And then, okay, what do we got here? Uh, Boston. What about you? Beans. Wh what? Beans? Yeah. Beans are awesome. <laughs> so that, my kids love that. My kids now go around and go, yeah, beans are awesome. <laughs> So, my wife might give you a critique on that accent though. I don't know. Oh, I'm no, not qualified it's, it's awful. To, yeah. <laughs> to, to say how convincing it is. <laughs> Love it. Again, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast hey, today, man. Same here. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it.
All right, all right. It feels good to be back. I really enjoyed my conversation with Ken. He is so much fun to talk to, and the guy is so talented. Definitely go check him out on Instagram. His handle is at type lettering. It's a uh, it's a good one. It's a beauty. Check it out. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.